this episode of The Interface, I speak with Wilson Ong, Amphenol Business Development Manager for the AMAO Group and the Technical Director for the Pasadena Technical Center. Wilson has been with Amphenol for three years, but has been in the connector industry for 13 years. We talk about his different roles and the importance of continuing to grow Amphenol's presence in the West Coast. We talk connector engineering and the benefits of being able to work on so many different programs. We talk about the work ethic instilled in him by his parents and how that's carried through in his role at Amphenol and at home with his family. And we talk about his surprising selections for his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. Get rolling. Yeah, let's get rolling. I don't want to interrupt uh, you know, your, your forthcoming lunch or anything like that. Do you have lunch plans or you just sit there and eat at the house? Uh, usually I just eat at the house, but like I, I like this week has yeah. been chaotic a little bit because I, I planned my Tim's. Yeah. My Tim is this week. So four hour meetings from 8 a.m. Eastern to noon your time. So tell me about your Tim's. Tell me, t- uh, Tim stands for what? So Tim stands for uh, technology interchange meetings. Yes. Right. And uh, basically once a year we bring all the directors of engineering together and we discuss our technology roadmaps, right? And what is our strategy uh, from the engineering perspective on how we can look at industry trends, bring in the new technologies, the new markets, uh, and then integrate that with our connector technology and really put a path down the road to actually create products. And this is mainly for the the AMAO group, right? Do you bring in anyone from outside of military and aerospace to participate in this as well, or or is it fairly set to just this market, these markets? No, we, we actually bring in uh, automotive. Okay. Uh, this year we have sensors as part of our group. Oh, sure. Uh, they presented. Uh, so we definitely want to integrate uh, our other divisions, and they're very much um, happy to attend, uh, especially when we do it in person. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We get to know each other, yeah. uh, build that personal connection with each other. Uh, but it's also good to see because from a military and aerospace perspective, we see the market a certain way, right? Like yeah. 10, 14-week lead time. And it's just different to see it from a different market point of view where you know, there's no inventory, they, mm-hmm. they manufacture things to print. And, you know, when they say it's going to be due in six weeks, it's going to be due in six weeks. There's no variability in that time, in that time span. So it's good to learn the practices from uh, the other markets and how we can make ourselves better uh, taking some of their good habits and applying it to the military. Models. So yeah. your role now has, has transitioned. You came to Amphenol a few years ago. Uh, as a business development manager, and we've now also assumed more of a technical director job for the Pasadena uh, Center of of Excellence, I guess you could call it, for the AMAO engineering team. So, just briefly describe for us the role uh, as you as you have it right now. So, yeah, like you said, I have two hats. Uh, as with a lot of people in Amphenol, they they carry multiple yeah. roles. Oh yeah. Uh, so. In my first role uh, as a group business development manager, which I came into Amphenol as, uh, I looked into strategies for underserved markets. And then uh, I also handle technology as well. So I help with the technology roadmaps, our TIMS and our TACs on making sure that, you know, we are putting technology on our roadmap and continue to be 
the leaders of technology in military and aerospace. And then about six months ago, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, take over the role as the technical director for the West Coast Engineering Office, which we call our Anthony Pasadena Technical Center. It is our go-to excellence for applications engineering on the West Coast. And yeah. MAO being a very East Coast centric business, right? We have a lot of the, there's a lot of military and aerospace development on the West Coast. And you can notice that there's a lot of companies out here, right? They were all kind of built and grown around this like Southern California, LA area. So part of the West Coast office is to kind of uh, close that gap a little bit, give engineering presence out here, really foster an engineer to OEM engineering customer relationship and really get things designed in early, get concepts designed in early and bring a lot of that feedback back to our factories to really grow our presence out here in the West Coast. One of the unique parts about the office that you oversee there is you're representing multiple Amphenol divisions, multiple different types of technologies, multiple different types of products, uh, and yet you're not at the actual uh, physical plant or location um, where the, the work is being done oftentimes. What are the benefits and what are the challenges with that? So I, I think I have a really great team of guys and we've harvested them from a great pool of talent out here mm -hmm. uh, in the West Coast in Southern California. So that definitely helps with that remote working mm -hmm. uh, atmosphere, especially during COVID. Our guys are driven, independent, um, and very able to kind of hold their own out here. I would say, you know, we get really great support from the factories uh, to, to get them to where they're going. Of course, there's going to be some challenges, right? I, I think in, in my experience as an engineer, it's always been easy to walk to the connector manufacturing floor and really get something done. And, right. and this time you kind of have to rely on someone else to, to get down on the floor, give you those eyes on the part and, and, and do that development work. But really what has helped a lot, especially during COVID, is that we are separated from the manufacturing floor. So a lot of the day-to-day -day activity, the, the quality issues, we're isolated from that to a certain extent. And that allows our team here to kind of focus on what is the next best thing, right? What is uh, the R&D, the, the development, the product design, and really kind of invest our time in the forefront of what the future is going to be and bring that back to our factories and help bring value that way. What kind of capabilities do you have in the office to uh, allow you to do exactly what you just described? Um, do you have you know a little lab area, a little design area? I mean, what, what do you have to foster some of that creativity and collaboration to, to solve some of these uh, issues? Well, I would say the biggest weapon we have are, are the guys in the office, mm -hmm. right? And uh, they're very resourceful uh, and they bring that brain power to get things done. Uh, of course, uh, we, we have a fairly small footprint out here. It's, it's a very nice office, maybe 2,200 square feet. Uh, we do have a small lab. So we're able to do some 3D printing, uh, so to do some quick turn prototyping. We, we have a lot of test equipment, so electrical testing, uh, equipment out here to do some troubleshooting. Uh, we also have some visual inspection things. So basic engineering lab tools uh, mm -hmm. that gets us to where we need to be. 
And anything we don't need, I think, or anything we don't have necessarily, there's a great hotbed of uh, environmental test labs around Southern California uh, that can help support us. This center in Pasadena has also, it's been around uh, just about as long as you've been a part of Amphenol, right? It coincides yeah, I, pretty I was, close. I was one of the first ones in the office. So, so I was right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what have you seen that we have gained out of having this center there in the the short three years that you've been a part of Amphenol and have seen this develop over that amount of time? If I said that correctly, I think you understand what I'm asking you. I think so. And I'll try to answer it as, as best I can. Right? Yeah, that was horrible. I asked that horribly. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I think Braden did a great job setting up the office. And uh, I'm, I'm only be, being able to implement what I'm able to do because of what he started for us. There's been a few things that have benefited from coming out on the West Coast. A, it's shown commitment that Amphenol is willing to put bodies out here. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to our customers, they see that and they're like, well, I want to work with these guys, right? The other thing is that it, it gives the salespeople on the West Coast a tool that they didn't have before, right? Mm. Someone that they can reach out to, someone that they can ask a really intelligent question or a very dumb question, but get an answer quickly, right? Um, something that we as individuals within the office can go visit our customers in a heartbeat. If you need me there over the afternoon, let me go over there, talk to you, work it out, get what you need to get done. We'll go back to young Wilson then, and we'll work our way up to the present now as we know what you're doing uh, currently. But young Wilson, grown up, born and raised Southern California. Describe what that was like for you growing up. I mean, you knew nothing different, but what what did you enjoy most about uh, being a kid? What were you interested in? And how did I uh, end up being an engineer? And yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've heard these before. Yeah. So growing up, I grew up in Long Beach, mm-hmm. uh, the same neighborhood that Snoop Dogg grew up in. Yes. And I lived maybe a mile from the high school that Snoop Dogg went to. So <laughs> we, we were, it was a little bit rough yeah. uh, of an area. And, yeah. and my parents had immigrated over here in 1982. So we were first generation immigrants. My mom oh, okay. was a worker yeah. uh, and whatnot. So I, I remember um, a lot of things, you know, family, we play outside a lot with the neighborhood kids. Yeah. I think growing up, one of the things that I probably enjoyed the most, uh, which ultimately led me to being an engineer down the road, uh, was that we actually didn't have a whole lot of toys Mm. growing up. Um, It it was, you know, money was tight. And um, I I actually never even got my first Lego set. You believe that an engineer that never got a Lego set uh, until my 25th birthday. Yeah. Uh, so actually growing up, uh, we didn't have a lot of toys. So my mom would bring home cardboard boxes. Yeah. And because uh, she worked at a warehouse, she would bring home cardboard boxes. And I would make my own toys out of cardboard and shipping tape. That's great. And uh, that was sort of my STEM toy. What they yeah. Call now. That was my STEM toy growing up. And I, I remember I made everything. I made toy guns, uh, one of those Motorola StarTac phones. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, guitars, basketball hoops, everything. And I, I remember growing up, that was like my 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 thing. And my sisters remembered it as well. Like I made things out of cardboard. Mm. It's just an active imagination. You didn't have 
you didn't have a heck of a lot to to play with. So it's just like I'm just gonna invent my own fun, which you're right is kind of a rarity these days too. Um, you don't nearly see that as much anymore. In fact, hardly at all because you know everyone's got a screen in front of their face, you know, just tapping on the screen. But no, that's Absolutely. yeah, it's a, it's a great story. What what did you you know your parents like you said you know you might not have been from super wealthy means or anything like that, but what did that teach you? How did you learn from that as a kid now that you could look back as you're older and go, wow, I really appreciate the fact that my parents taught me what? I would say um, my parents, you know, did their best to give us everything they need. Yeah. But in doing that, you can definitely see the struggle that went on behind it. Yeah. You know, and the way that they did it, right? We never went into that. It was working hard, you know, doing what you had to do to mm-hmm. really get where you're at, which I struggle with my own kids because they literally get everything that they want without <laughs> having to work for it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, uh, I learned a lot. I think the, you know, the one thing that my mom kind of always taught me was, you know, make sure that your foot is stable before you, you, you take the next step. Right. And, and, um, in order to get to the next step, you have to really work really hard and, and, and grit and grind to get where you're, going yeah so in my family um our our family business was uh apartments Mm -hmm. and we had rental uh rental units uh and unfortunately my father had a stroke when i was about 10 Mm -hmm. um and me being the youngest um and the only boy i was kind of like kind of put into this role of like my mom was like, you're the head of the household. You're the one that has to hold things together. You're the guy. It's a very Asian wow. mentality, right? Yeah, yeah. But she she kind of ingrained that into me early on. So, you know, I, I took care of the apartments as best I can. You know, I went, I, I fixed toilets. I changed doorknobs. I painted apartment complexes. So from a very young age, I was, I was just really taught to take on that extra responsibility and uh, to understand, you know, like, hey, you know, this is how you make money. And that's built me to the type of person I am today and yeah. the entrepreneurship that is part of Amphenol culture and, and responsibility and accountability and all those good things that came along. That's fascinating. I mean, it must have instilled some incredible work ethic in you then, you know, seeing what your parents had to go through in order to support you kids and, and doing it the right way, even though it wasn't always easy. Um, I can imagine that uh, that really left quite the impression on you. At least it sounds like it has. That's for sure. Um, you then had the opportunity, though, to go to uh, Cal Berkeley. Then, how did that? How did you pick that? <laughs> I, it actually wasn't even like one of my top choices at the time. Yeah. Um, so when you apply to the UC system, yeah, uh, you actually get to pick like five, right? It's one application, and you get to choose whatever school. So. Um, I, I chose Berkeley, I chose UCLA, I chose UCI, I chose UC San Diego. Um, and actually San Diego was my first choice. Um, I did end up getting into San Diego and I one day got the acceptance letter to UC Berkeley. And I was completely shocked. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Um, but my mom was super excited because she had heard about it from her friends. I, I didn't know a whole lot about Berkeley at the time. So she actually was like, you got to go, like, this is the place to go, you know, like you're going to be far away from home, but it's going to be good for you. So she actually flew me up there for Cal Day. Um, my sister went with me and um, one of my really good friends, 
uh, was going to Berkeley as well. And he, he was definitely goading me to go with them. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it, in truth, uh, if it was a different world, I probably would have been a software engineer. Mm. Um, but because I went to Berkeley, I ended up changing my major to mechanical engineering, uh, which I love. Uh, I, I think it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. I really enjoyed mechanical engineering. And uh, that was kind of the story of, of Berkeley. I went there, I, I did my schooling, and that was the only time I lived outside of Southern California. Did you like it? I liked it. I, I think I liked it more when I left Berkeley. Um, but there was definitely like a, you know, like when you're not in school and you're, you're grinding. But it was a very tough environment, right? Um, yeah. I truly believe that you are the average of the people that are around you. And when you went to a school like Berkeley, you were challenged to, to bring right. out your best. It was yeah. not sitting on your butt coasting and getting an A. It was you had to really study. You had to really compete when they got those bell curves, right? Like the average person in Berkeley is going to get a C <laughs> and yeah. there's going to be a certain amount of people who get an F. Uh, so you really had to work hard to get to that, to get, you know, to be the top of your class. What made you eventually settle with mechanical engineering? How did that come about? So the, the electrical engineering and CS were impacted majors. And, uh, and that's they, what you were in first? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. they, so they, so you had to like go in, um, and if you weren't accepted directly in the major, kind of work your way back into that major. Uh, so I went in and I said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll start out with mechanical engineering. A lot of the prep classes were there, and I just enjoyed it. So I ended up staying. Um, I think growing up, I was a big car guy, so mm -hmm. mechanical car guy, it kind of just went hand in hand. I actually really enjoyed it, the design aspect of it, um, planner machinery doing 3D models and things like that, uh, which was very good uh, for me down the road. And, and especially with kind of my, my electrical engineering hobbies, it worked <laughs> out well, you know, like I'm, I'm doing electrical mechanical designs here at Anthenol and it's definitely, uh, it definitely kind of fit the profile. What do you like about being an engineer in the connector industry? What is it that you really enjoy about that? I think the best thing I like about working in bug connectors is that we get to touch a lot of different industries, right? There's a lot of, of you know, job potentials out there where you're working on a project and it, it could be three, four, five years down the road. Working in connectors, you kind of get to touch multiple industries and your, your turnaround time is a lot quicker, right? So mm. the great thing about the West Coast is that we get to be engaged with guys that are in space, uh, guys that are doing missiles, guys that are doing soldier systems. So in terms of applications, you get to have a much wider breadth of applications and you get to make a bigger effect on the industry versus just, you know, maybe like one singular project. That's what would intrigue me if I were an engineer uh, being in the connector industry, because the connector industry is probably not, when you're in college, it's probably not the thing where your professors are going, you know, oh, you can, you know, you can make these, things that connect to the ends of cables or on the, you know, onto PC boards and this and that and the other thing. However, to your point, you have the ability as an engineer for an interconnect company like Amphenol to touch 
20, 25, 30 different industries and see all sorts of programs. And you could be on everything from, you know, mobile antenna units to cell phones to heavy equipment to, you know, SpaceX vehicles to whatever it may be. And all of it is possible because of the technology, not to sound grandiose, but because of the technology that we put into our connector products, right? I, I agree. I actually think our connector product line is underestimated in a lot of industries, right? I think as an overall system, you're doing some really great things, but when you get down to the connector, uh, they may just pick the connector and put it in there. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things, you know, materials, plating, contact retention, uh, contact systems, interfacial grommets, and those things get down to the materials, the processing, and actually building it and putting it all together. you know, is, is there's a reason why there's connector companies out there. It's not something that can be simply translated. And, and yeah, can a, a big corporation build their own connectors? Of course. But there's definitely a lot of knowledge and history that goes behind it. And, and part of just my culture of working with my hands and building things from, from scratch, that's what interests me as well, right? You, you actually have to build something from raw material and turn it into something that's going to perform. And especially when you get into kind of the the higher end spectrums of things, when you're going higher speeds, higher power, there's a lot of technology behind that. And uh, when we talk about our TIMS and our TACs, I really get exposure to that. And I'm really proud of what the team is able to do uh, from a technology perspective, because some of that stuff, you know, it's years, decades in the making to get to us to where we're at today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with with your assessment of of how this all fits together, right? I mean, that's really what this is all about and what your charter is from the West Coast um, with this engineering team. So we'll step away from work for just a minute here and talk about when you're you're not working. I know you have a young family there in Southern California, but what do you like to do in your free time? Hopefully every now and then you take some of those old boxes from things that you've purchased for the family and, and had them design some some toys for themselves, but maybe not. Maybe not to the extent you did it. But what do you guys like to do on your free time? Well, yeah, obviously my kids are, uh, they take up a majority of, of my free time. And I've, I've stepped on enough Lego pieces in my days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my, my son actually does do a lot of the same things that I do. He'll, he'll take cardboard boxes, cut them up, make swords and, and oh, shields, fun yeah. things himself, so. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good things there. You know, my son recently started uh, playing basketball. He actually made his very first shot uh, about three days ago. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a big deal for me. I'm, I'm I play basketball a lot. I still go across the street and do pickup games at the parks. But yeah, my son's uh he's he's a one percenter, and not in the good way. He's probably one percent uh, of like size and weight. <laughs> the entire U.S. So a yeah. uh, little tiny guy first made his first shot after like three weeks was a big deal for us. That's great. Uh, the other thing I probably do a lot is I fix houses. Uh, so wow. that's probably one of my, my bigger hobbies. Um, during COVID, we did a ton of renovations. It's the only thing that kept me sane, uh, built a new deck, redid my staircase. Um, and every you know a couple of years, me and my wife will buy a fixer and we'll fix it up. How did you get into that? Just out of necessity or just something you enjoyed doing? 
so growing up, we we had apartment houses, right? So yeah. I, I I learned how to fix things. My mom never hired a plumber or electrician, so yeah, I would be the guy who goes in there and and fixes it. Uh, thinking back, I, I can imagine how how crazy like my tenants must have thought. It's like oh, this twelve year old kid coming in to like fix my garbage system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I was more thinking instead of the maintenance side of it and repairs as far as renovations. You know, is it? Uh, the difference between the two was the rent of you enjoying doing the renovations just strictly because you like doing it or yeah. was it just, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Uh, so me and my, you know, I like working with my hands. I have a ton of tools in the garage, so I like working on things and um, it's, it's a great kind of fun team project that I do with my wife. So my wife gets to pick out the tiles and the paint colors and the flooring. And uh, at the end of the day, you kind of have this nice, project that is fully renovated and, and finished and as well as you can sell it and make some money or rent it out and 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 generate some residual income so it's a fun little side project that we do uh, and uh, we both enjoy it and we we don't drive ourselves crazy while we're renovating it we actually uh, work really well as a team so actually our, our whole house was completely gutted we've we've got this house and uh, kind of built it up from the walls out and Three years in the making, but I think we're 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 almost there. And you did it all yourselves. Oh, uh, we, we hired a couple of people here and there uh, for some of the tough labor. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, most of the time we're doing a lot of things ourselves: electrical, plumbing, flooring. That's awesome that you're able to do that. Well, we'll wrap up with this then. Uh, and I know you're anticipating this. Well, I'm now. I'm looking forward to your <laughs> answers. I stick you on a desert island. We'll call it Catalina Island for the wine mixer, for example. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. But you're by yourself, and I say that you're allowed to have one album, one book, one movie. Start with album. What album would Wilson bring with him? So, so I thought about this a little bit, and uh, I, I think I grew up in the MP3 era, so I didn't really have as many albums. Uh, I, you know, I was always downloading music, and uh, so growing up, I, I listened to a lot of like slow jams, um, like Boys to Men, mm-hmm. and Night. Those type of things. But I would say if I'm lonely on an island, that would be very depressing to have that kind of music. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm going to go complete opposite. I, I think in high school, I used to spend hours playing Need for Speed. Uh, so I would take the Need for Speed Underground soundtrack. And that's Whoa. more like rap. Like, yeah. you know, like Little John. Yeah. You know, Get Low and like Nate Dogg and those type of things. Wow. Okay. So you, that was out of left field. I like it. I like being surprised. Okay. How about a book? Book. Again, I told you, I, I'm not very cultured. Uh, I actually don't read a whole lot of fictional books. I read a lot of nonfiction books Yeah. Uh, lately. But if I go back to the last time I was like reading paper, I would bring the series of uh, this anime series, Naruto, and uh, I would bring his comic books. I think that would be my selection for books. Another surprise. Like this is good. I like these selections. Yeah, yeah it's not the, like the the standard normal ones. This is good. So finally, <laughs> movie. How about a movie? Movie. Oh, movie. I think it's easy. I think my favorite movie is The Gladiator. Okay. Uh, I love that movie. Um, we named a connector after that movie, so that would definitely be my movie choice. <laughs> All right. No, that's a that's a great one too. And how can you not like that movie? Right? Yeah, how, yeah. How can you not like that movie? Yeah. Are you not entertained when you watch that movie? 
every single time. It just, you know, it's a sad ending, but I think it worked out well. Yeah, I think so. Other than the dying part, but yeah. well, you know, that favorite <laughs> spoiler <line>. alert <laughs> for people that didn't see it in the last 20 years. <laughs> well, listen, I've Wilson, saw it like 10 times. So, you know, yeah. It still, it still shocks me. Still yes, shocks of course. Me. I want to thank you again for doing this today. You have a really fascinating story, especially growing up and, you know, the things that uh, you had to go through and learning to grow up very fast um, and keeping that spirit alive um, in current day, I think, is, is, a, is a great story. So thank you for sharing that today. And I uh, appreciate you doing this. Thank you. It was an honor to, you know, speak with a local Amphenolian celebrity. Ah, please stop. <laughs>